0: I'm John Bruner with O'Reilly. I'm here today with Bob Montemuro. He's the senior partner for architecture services in the international region for Teradata. Bob, good to have you on.
1: Thanks, John. Uh, looking forward to the discussion today.
0: So uh, today's discussion is, is about ecosystem data architecture, uh, EDA, and this is a, a topic that people might not be completely familiar with. So I wonder if you would start by just saying what uh, ecosystem data architecture is.
1: Well, in uh, if we think about it, the more historic uh, analytic architectures, we're really driven on uh, either single technologies or fairly. Uh, uh, simplistic technologies and with the explosion of big data and open source technologies, it's forcing customers to take a step back and really look at their broader ecosystem and the different capabilities required to, to be able to service the array of business users that they have in today's world. So an ecosystem data architecture really takes a look at the, uh, the, the fundamental needs for an organization to be able to drive uh, the, the, the capabilities out to the business. So it's an architecture approach, but it's built on a an approach that, that leads customers to, to looking at the state of data and getting data into the ecosystem much more quickly and looking at and targeting data products in a manner that really meets the, the requirements for broader analytic capability.
0: So it's kind of a, a holistic approach where you're maybe looking at uh, everything from ERP to CRM and operational data, stuff like that, and, and kind of trying to understand it in its totality?
1: Yeah, and also harmonizing that data with new and interesting data types such as uh, you know, IoT sensor data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the interesting part for the for looking at these new kinds of data is being able to get it into an ecosystem that will allow uh, an array of users to start to look at data and apply context to data based on some of their uh, existing data environments. And and the importance of this is that you you think about the the foundation of how you want to get the data into the environment in the first place, and then enable access to the data because integration points are still relevant and still important, but not as pre-orchestrated. Uh, as, as it was in the past.
0: So uh, let's say you're, uh, you know, you're a big organization, a big company that's been following the mantra for the last five or ten years, and you've been collecting a lot of data, you've been trying to move into a data-driven culture, you haven't given a lot of thought to your ecosystem data architecture. What does it take uh, to get there? What does it take to implement you know, a well-architected, well-planned, well-executed uh, EDA? That's a great question,
1: and I think there's there's a couple of paths that we're seeing customers take at at this point. Right, one of the paths is stand up new and interesting technologies and um, figure out how it can can meet some some uh, future state needs, and then there's the other where they kind of take more of a step back and look at laying out a, a 2020 vision and kind of look at the, uh, the the art of the possible the, the the changes within the technology and the changes within the data start to establish a foundation so I equate the you know the approach that that uh, customers and, and clients should be taking should be around the way of of uh, looking at it from a if you think about it in a subdivision kind of concept if we were going to go mm-hmm. out and, and establish a subdivision, what would we need to uh, to define um, the the foundation capabilities to, to be able to realize the subdivision? We would look at um, you know the the water and the electricity and the and the power grids and and understand the kind of structures that we would build in this community and and start to define those patterns up front. And then as we get into the uh, individual projects that build off of that, you think of that as developing a, a house blueprint. Mm-hmm. Right. So every solution then has a blueprint off of that. So it's really looking at and, and defining the capabilities and looking at some of the specific use cases that you want to you target and then laying out a, a, an architecture, starting at conceptual and working your way through logical to physical.
0: So who, who are the stakeholders usually that you're thinking about when you launch into a process like that? Is it the CTO or the line of business managers, uh, the IT department?
1: And, you know, I think the, uh, the approach will, will vary based on who, who's the, uh, the audience. Ideally, you want to have both. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, you tend to, to start with one side of the organization or the other and then try and pull in the opposite. So if we if we look at it from a, an IT side of the organization, it tends to be more capability driven. So looking at and saying, hey, I, you know, I want to have data scientists in my organization and I want to have them get access to the data quicker. And I want to, you know, spend less time up front uh, structuring and, and converting it into data product, but make it available and get it to the business in, in a much more uh, uh, time. Uh, sensitive fashion versus the business perspective, which says, "Hey, I want to be able to do uh, complex event processing to be able to mm-hmm. link, uh, you know, a, a signal of an activity that happens on a rail car to me actually notifying the train and having them stop the train before uh, a derailment might happen." Right. So it's more business focus, and and we would distill the business requirements into a series of capabilities that would then uh, form the uh, foundational uh, requirement for the architecture. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, who usually takes on the role of the ecosystem architect
1: within an organization? It would uh, we, we actually have ecosystem architects that have a um, you know, if you think about it from a skill set perspective, they tend to be more um, technology generalists. Right, but mm-hmm. they have a breadth of knowledge and, and an understanding of technology integration, and understanding of how to drive a vision from conceptual to logical. So you know the skill sets are evolving, and, and we're finding that we're having to really start to uh, distinguish, um, you know, an architect, an ecosystem architect, or you know, truthfully, an enterprise architect skill set from a, a solution or project level architect. Right. So if we mm-hmm. go back to that housing subdivision. Uh, uh, analogy, it uh, it speaks to the idea that the uh, subdivision architect is the ecosystem or the enterprise architect, and that project level or solution architect is the guy that defines the blueprints. Got right? it. And then we see emerging uh, domain architects that are really taking it from a physical design through implementation, right? So they have the deep expertise on the uh, specific capability within that so it's important to really structure your organization to be able to uh, fulfill these roles when you're looking at a, at a very uh a wide and and uh, open ecosystem solution
0: so let's go into a little bit of the technology here and talk about some of the choices that uh, organizations have to make as they think about their uh, ecosystem data architecture what, what are the big kind of technological decisions especially that that you hit right at the outset
1: well, there's, there's the obvious ones that, that we start to see of, you know, is it, is it a Hadoop open source or is it a commercial data warehouse type solution? We also see a lot around the uh, on-prem versus cloud type decisions. Um, what, truthfully, what we try to do is, is uh, have them slow down a little bit in the discussion on the technology and, and look at and understand, you know, the, the, the state of data, the nature of the data, um, the volume of the data, so you know the, the usual three V's, mm-hmm. um, and, and look at how we would. Uh, come to a realization on some of these platform positioning uh, decisions. So, you know, as an example, I had a customer two weeks ago where, you know, we've laid out a a good solid logical architecture. And then the next question they had was, how do I govern this? How do I determine then where my data resides? And they hadn't made all of their technology decisions yet, but they were looking at a data lake that was going to be predominantly Hadoop. So I think Mm-hmm. You know, my, my statement to them was, boy, that simplifies the ingest question, but now let's talk about the data product. Right, And if we're looking at a data product that's a uh, trusted data product. What are the characteristics? Who's going to use it? Right. So mm-hmm. we we came up with a decision tree to help them define where to target that within their ecosystem. And similar similarly with a uh, what we call a minimally viable data product, right, which has lower levels of providence and potentially lower uh, uh, service guarantees on the data. And we came up with a decision tree around that. So um, really, it's around you know the positioning. And then we get quickly into discussions around can I virtualize mm-hmm. right, or do mm-hmm. I have to materialize and, and looking at some of the nature of the usage of the data and and the uh, complexity around the type of queries that will be performed against the data and the volume of data. So we do have some, some good discussions with customers around how to differentiate these.
0: Interesting. So let's talk about what's coming up on the horizon here. Are there any big, you know, new technologies that are um, beginning to take hold that you see as, as you know, becoming future crucial uh, parts of the ecosystem data architecture process?
1: Well, in terms of technology, the big, the big opportunity is all in the virtualization space um, because we're looking at different volumes and different states of data throughout the ecosystem. The key is how do I really drive integration to this data without having to pick and move and copy data uh, on a a consistent manner. So the more that, that virtualization technologies can really support this, the easier it becomes to establish a, a a virtual access path or access layer to the data, and that's going to be key. So there are some technologies that are emerging. We see them in um, you know in the uh, open source space. Uh, you know, Teradata's working heavily with uh, uh, with Facebook on on Presto to to be able mm-hmm. to uh, drive virtualization and and also things like Query Grid uh, as well that allow um, you know different patterns to be realized within uh, virtualization. So I would boil that down to two you have the um, a to b pattern or you have the a to b to c pattern where c is kind of another layer in in your architecture Mm -hmm. and we work with customers to really help them understand what's the right solution and the kind of queries and utilization patterns that uh, that they'll be looking for for virtualization but the technology is going to continue to evolve and 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 so will our
0: practices and uh cloud versus on-prem you mentioned that as as one of the key you know early uh, parts of the discussion. Uh, what, what are you seeing there in the way of trends? For a while, everyone was moving to the cloud. Has that stabilized, uh, in, in your view?
1: There's still a lot of momentum there. What I think we're, we're seeing, uh, when one customer wanted to do a quick pilot of the architecture that we defined for them. So they uh, immediately thought, well, we'll just go ahead and do this in the cloud. So they're in the mm-hmm. process of, uh, of validating the architecture with some early use cases in the cloud. And it gives them a, a quicker ability to provision the environment and validate things without making a heavy investment. What they're going to be looking at downstream is what's going to be the cost and how can I extrapolate the cost of this and really start to get a better understanding of which kinds of workloads we should be looking at having in the cloud and which kinds should we should we pull on-prem. And I think it's going to vary based on, on uh, the, the customer. And, and some of the utilization because the, the, the key is going to be how do I get the right cost mix for, uh, for what I'm delivering to my business? And I can much more easily target some of the, uh, the price points then based on uh, what, what the business unit sensitivity might be to price as well. So I think we'll have more fluidity. And one of the things that we've been trying to drive to customers is to think about portability when they make some of the lower level design decisions. Hmm. You know, If I'm gonna choose a certain technology, am I kind of painted into that technology or do I have the ability to, to you know, m- migrate these uh, potential workloads or solutions from cloud to on prem and vice versa,
0: right? So kind of uh, future proofing,
1: exactly. Don't paint yourself in a corner. Give yourself uh, flexibility. Yep.
0: Um. Yeah. So what? Uh, what sorts of you know technological or architecture approaches are available to organizations that are worried about future proofing? That are that are saying you know, wow, there's a lot of a lot of new stuff coming out. A lot of uh, advancements in the field of sort of data handling, data analysis. I want to make sure that I don't get locked into an older technology while all my competitors are moving ahead.
1: Yeah, I think that goes back to uh, maintaining some some uh, line of vision on just your general organizational architecture principles. Because I think um, you know so, some principles that, that I've seen at, at different. Different company sites have been fairly low level, right? So they they get mm-hmm. almost to the point where they uh, become somewhat prescriptive. And 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 when I think about some of the architecture principles that come to mind, they tend to be you know pretty descriptive of what the architecture should look like. And and I always look for a couple key ones around extensibility, scalability, portability, right? I think some of those principles help you really kind of keep your eye on the ball in terms of ensuring that you, you maintain flexibility uh, both to, to scale up and scale down and flexibility to, to be able to adapt to new technologies quickly. Because I think the key litmus test for an architecture is is not that it's it meets today's requirements, but that it can extend to meet tomorrow's requirements as well.
0: Excellent. All right, so I, I'd love to hear a, a sort of a plug from you. I think a lot of people will be curious, uh, about how Teradata is different from other vendors in this uh, ecosystem data architecture space.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think when we look at it at a, at a uh, macro level, I think our, our broader experience in data architecture and data management is really key. And I know a, a, lot, of, a lot of companies think of us uh, probably too often as a, uh, as a technology vendor. But you know the reality is when we when we look at it from a from a uh, consulting services perspective, our, our understanding around data management and data processing and governance and stewardship and, and all of the the uh, organizational uh, controls that. That you need to establish in in an architecture to be able to sustain and grow the architecture and serve the needs of the the various uh, user communities is really a strength that Teradata has built over the years, and and extending that that strength through practices like our uh, ecosystem data architecture services is is really helping customers start to make the evolution uh, from you know maybe yesterday's data warehouse to tomorrow's analytic ecosystem and. You know, we we run into a lot of situations where customers have tried to uh, do technology uh, enablement and and tried to do it on their own without really taking a step back and, and looking at and thinking about uh, the ramifications and, the, uh, and and impacts to certain constraints on these solutions that I think our discipline and, and the frameworks that we've established to support this is really helping customers uh, across that chasm of you know technology overload to a harm, harmonious uh, ecosystem. That helps them service all of their users and the data needs that they have.
0: All right, thanks, Bob. Uh, if listeners want to find you online, uh, where should they look?
1: Well, the best place uh, you know, they can always drop me an email at uh, robert.montemuro@teradata.com. Um, I do have a LinkedIn uh, as well. Um, not as active on Twitter. I use Twitter uh, often to interact with companies, but um, you know they certainly can reach out through LinkedIn and and uh, or or directly through email would be perfectly okay.
0: Terrific. Uh, My guest today has been Bob Monteburo. He's the senior partner for architecture services for the international region at Teradata. Bob, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you. This was a great conversation. Enjoyed it.